Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activist empowerment talk radio, speaking truth to our and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens are coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. Well, good evening, and thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. We're so glad to have you on this 1st of December, 2012, as we march down this journey of the last month of uh, the year, 2012. I want to say to you, Hotep, and I respect you, and thank you for joining us. Our number is 347-838-9852. And tonight at Our Common Ground, we're going to be talking about a number of things. But as you know, once a month at Our Common Ground, we have what we call Open Mic Saturday Night. And we talk about a variety of issues. Uh, we see you, our listeners and callers, as our guests on Open Mic Saturday night. And as always, though, on this night, I bring with me my agenda. And tonight, my agenda, let me propose it, Black America, already over the cliff. We've got to look at hunger, mental illness, and homelessness. And we have got to get it on America's political agenda. Tonight I'm going to share with you some audio that I brought along uh, which really frames this issue. But my question for you tonight, and um, our number is 347-838-9852, is how black are the problems of hunger, mental illness, and homelessness? And where in our community is the mobilization on these issues nationally? And 
how do we create the black mobilization on these issues? What does it mean that these issues did not occupy a prominent place in the recent presidential campaign and has not been articulated clearly in the debt and deficit discourse? Who in the White House or the Congress is expressing the issues as a public policy priority? And within our community, who is already over the cliff? It's very easy for us to sit and say, well, I don't know any people that are, that, that experience real hunger uh, in this country. Um, I don't know any people who are truly mentally ill who are not getting the, the mental health care that they need. I don't know people who are homeless unless they have become homeless by their own negligence. Well, this show is for you if you are saying those things. Because one out of every six Americans live in what we call, or what is the new term, a food insecure environment. And the term food insecure means that they do not always know where their next meal will be coming from. And that includes children. Uh, many of you have heard about some pieces and bits of my career, but I don't talk about uh, one part of my professional career. I served as a director in a human rights, an international human rights organization, and the priority program for the time that I was there was childhood hunger in America. Since 2006, the number of Americans served by food pantries has increased by 27% to 5.7 million people receiving emergency food assistance. 36% of households served by emergency food assistance programs have one or more adults working and we do not hear what that all means in the political discourse of who will lead this country over the next four years. We did not hear and are not hearing some clamor about what we are going to do about hunger in America and specifically hunger homelessness in our own community. We're going to talk about that tonight. Again, our number is 347-838-9852. Now let's, let's move our, our focus uh, on homelessness. Despite the fact that a number of homeless people uh, is, was essentially the number of homeless people was essentially unchanged between 2009 and 2011, there still remains some concern. If you look at the economic and demographic indicators linked to homelessness, homelessness continues to be troubling because those indicators tell us that although there is a lag in the indicator. The economic conditions, the economic status, the, 
the budget in this country and the budget discourse in this country will affect, this poor economy will affect and escalate the issue of homelessness. And we know, I mean, we like to, you know how we like to quote dead people, and Malcolm said to us, if white people are uh, have a cold, then we've got pneumonia. In black America, homelessness is epidemic, it is serious, and it is chronic. The other issue that I bring to the program tonight is mental illness. An estimated 5.2 million adults have co-occurring mental health and addiction disorders. And we can talk about whether or not you feel, there are some of you out there who feel that addiction disorders are not mental illness, that chronic depression is not mental illness. But we can talk about that. Of adults using homeless services, 31% are reported as having a combination of the condition of mental health and addiction disorder. One half of all lifetime cases of mental illness begins by age 14, three quarters by age 24, which means that our children are most likely to be hit by some kind of mental illness at a very early age. And despite effective treatments, there are long delays uh, between the first onset of symptoms and when people seek and receive treatment. You might recall when Terry Williams, the head of the Terry Williams um, agency, uh, famous agency in New York where Johnny Cochran as well as Ruby um, Dee is one of, uh, among her clients, who has written the book, Black Pain. It just looks like we're not hurting. One of the things that she said to us in in our interview with her a couple of uh, years ago, and I do feature a lot of her interviews as part of the content of this program, was that she understood after a lifetime of struggling with adult depression that the depression really started at a very early age when she was in college. But what does this all mean? I think tonight... What is really truly troubling to me is that nobody is talking about it. We're not talking about it in the context of the potential for cuts in Medicaid, Medicare, and Social Security benefits. We're not talking about it as part of a mobilization to ensure that our debt and deficit and budget priorities include a realistic challenge about these three issues. I'm Janice Graham, and you're listening to Our Common Ground, and we're so glad to have all of you. If you'd like to join us in our chat room, you can do so by just plugging in blogtalkradio.com backslash OCG, and we are right here, and we welcome all of uh, the people who are following us in our chat room. Thank you so very much. Uh, before we get started on talking about those issues, I just wanted to overview, and, and of course we invite you to bring whatever 
issues are important to you tonight, I do want to cover a couple of things that are are not related. Uh, one is that a very special person at our Common Ground Media is having a birthday today, and we want to wish Michelle Odom, who I hope is listening to us, um, a very, very happy birthday, and to extend to her our wishes uh, for a full recovery from her crisis brought on by Hurricane Sandy and that she is settling herself in and finding the uh, solutions and answers to getting her life back on track and that we wish her enough. So happy birthday, uh, Michelle Odom, and thank you so much for your service to our Common Ground Media and and your your dedication uh, to independent black media. The other thing I want to mention to you today, uh, in 1955, a whole era of defiance for black people began with a woman by the name of Rosa Parks, who, who refused to give up her seat under Jim Crow laws and it ignited the Montgomery boycott, um, Montgomery, Alabama boycott, which took black people, led black people, into an era of defiance which changed the entire fabric of America. So tonight at our Common Ground, we certainly remember uh, Rosa Parks. And I want to give you some information, you know, sometimes... Uh, and and I hope that some of our children might be listening to our broadcast, and you certainly can uh, invite them, especially teenagers and college college age students, uh, to um, to join us because we're talking about their lives, we're talking about their future, and many times all of us neglect to really understand and really to have the knowledge that we need to have about these people we call our black history sheroes and heroes. And it's not about knowing exactly, <laughs> excuse me, exactly when they were born, or but it, it is important for our children to put our history in context. For instance, Rosa Parks was born the same year as my father. That's how I put her in context. And the other is that um, she went to an industrial school for girls uh, and at Alabama State Teachers College. And my mother attended an industrial school for girls as well. She is, and if you want to give her a label, a civil rights, she was a civil rights activist, and she was born in Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, she was born Rosa Louise McCauley, and that is very important for us to know. The law which she broke, which changed history in America was the Montgomery, Alabama City Code, which required that all public transportation 
desegregated and that bus drivers had the powers of a police officer of the city while in actual charge of any bus for the purposes of carrying out the provisions of the code. The code said that while operating a bus, drivers were required to provide separate but equal accommodations for white and black passengers by assigning seats. And this was accomplished with the line roughly in the middle of the bus separating white passengers in the front of the bus and African-American passengers in the back. When an African-American passenger boarded the bus by the code, they had to get on at the front to pay their fare and then get off and reboard the bus at the back door. When the seats in the front of the bus filled up and more white passengers got on, the bus driver was required to move to the back the sign separating the black and white passengers and, if necessary, ask black passengers to give up their seat. And on December 1st, 1955, after a long day at work at the Montgomery Fair Department store, Rosa Parks boarded, boarded the Cleveland Avenue bus for home. She took a seat in the first of several rows designated for colored passengers. Though the city's bus ordinance did give the drivers the authority to assign seats, it didn't specifically give them the authority to demand a passenger to give up a seat to anyone regardless of color. However, on this day in 1955, this Montgomery bus driver had adopted the custom of requiring black passengers to give up their seats to white passengers. When asked, Rosa Park refused, and she was arrested. She was a respected activist in her community, and her community came to her cause. And that is the story of Rosa Parks, who ignited the era of defiance for black people in America. Thank you again for being with us. This is our common ground. We hope that uh, we can rock this mic tonight. Our number is 347-838-9852. We see that we have Michelle Odom with us tonight, and we're wishing her once again a very, very happy birthday. And we thank, we thank the stars for people like Rosa Parks. There are many that have come before her, many that are still with us, and we need to make sure that we are acknowledging and looking. I saw a movie uh, today, and the little boy's baby sister had died, and he indicated that he was going to grow up and be a Buddhist so that if he walked around, uh, he might be able to see her in another life. And one of the things we ask at Our Common Ground is that we try to see 
we need to look around and see if we see the Rosa Parks in our community in another life. Thank you for being with us. Our number is 347-838-9852. Tonight at Our Common Ground, I'm bringing uh, the issue of hunger, mental illness, and homelessness on America's political agenda. One of the reasons that I decided that that was going to be what I was going to be on tonight uh, is because it is the three most prevalent soul breakers in our community. We can see it everywhere. We can see the issue of food insecurity. We can see the politics of food manufacturing in the eyes of our children who don't seem to be able to come out of their sugary coma to be who they are truly meant to be in school each day. We can see mothers and fathers and families trying to struggle with smaller and smaller food budgets, but higher and higher food prices. We can see that the more and more we do not arrest the culture and the environment that creates the kind of anxiety and sadness and defeat that goes on in our community. We see it in the inadequate numbers of mental health places, mental health service providers, clinics, centers in our community. The more and more we war from this country, we see veterans coming home who are homeless because they're mentally ill and mentally ill because they are homeless, who are hungry because we have not provided them with the kinds of skills educational skills prior to the military, and they were so busy with war in their service to our country that they were unable to get the kind of skills that they now need to build a, a, a full life. It, 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 is, it is so complex. And we have to ask ourselves, what do we need in this country? And I'm suggesting that in our community, we need to be clear about these issues because they directly point back the reason that it is so chronic, so deeply ingrained in our community because it points back to shadow slavery and the eras under which we have as a community and a people have had to live since that time. This is our common ground, and here's our future for tonight. Poverty, the price tag for combined spending by federal candidates along with their parties and outside groups like super PACs totaled more than $6 billion. This is especially striking at a time when one in six Americans is poor with over 16 million children living in poverty. Poverty rates for blacks and Latinos are twice as high as the rates for whites. 
There is greater poverty among women than men, and the rate of women living in extreme poverty has reached record highs. But a study released by the media watchdog group FAIR, that's Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, they revealed that poverty as an issue has been nearly invisible in U.S. media coverage of the 2012 presidential race. It found just 17 of the 10,489 campaign stories studied, that's 0.2%, address poverty in any substantive way. Critics have pointed out that President Obama was viewed as the anti-poverty candidate in 2008, but his re-election bid four years later has barely mentioned the poor, even though their numbers have gone up. Well, for more out of whack. Why are chronic diseases so disproportionately affecting African-American communities? Why are there no stores in my community? Yet I can get every kind of fried chicken there is. I can get Kentucky fried chicken. I can get Harold. I don't know if y'all got Harold's here. Y'all might not have Harold's. That's a, a special kind of thing on the south side with barbecue sauce on it. But I can get, what's some other people? Popeyes. I can get, what's Chicka Flick? I was in Alabama. They got some other kind of fast food chicken fried thing going on. I can get every variety of cigarettes in those bodegas. They've got so many different kinds of cigarettes. I was, I was amazed. I don't personally smoke. I didn't know there was that many varieties. I, if I wanted to drink, I could get every variety of malt liquor there is in, the, in those bodegas that you're talking about because I can get them in my neighborhood. But I can't, and, wait a minute, let me, don't let me get too, go too fast. Because, see, I can get a semi-automatic weapon in my neighborhood. I can get heroin in my neighborhood. Now, y'all know, don't know heroin growing on the west side of Chicago, where it comes from. I can get cocaine in my neighborhood, but I cannot get an organic tomato unless I grow it myself. I didn't like that or whatever. But it broke my heart that all I could give this boy was a hamburger, and he was so hungry to the point he said yes. And at that point, his voice picked up, and I heard him clearly, and other people did. He said, I'll eat anything, and it's like... I literally just dropped my head, and I reached in the bag and gave him the burger, but it's like, what do you do with that? How do you handle when somebody tells you they're so hungry that they'll eat anything? This is the best that we can do. Can you imagine what this country would be if women had settled? This is the best that we can do. If black folk in slavery and segregation had said this is the best that we can do, that's not, the, that's not even the spirit of America, much less. Black America is already over the cliff. Will we have the political will to speak to the agenda of homelessness, mental illness, and hunger in black America? This is our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Stay tuned, and thank you for being with us.
once again for being with us here at Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'm looking for you to join in this discussion on homelessness, hunger, and mental health, and whether or not we have the political will to push the buttons to ensure that these are issues, that our issues are part of the political discourse of deficit, debt, and budget in this country. You know, one of the things that is just so entirely frustrating to me is that at one time, we had what was called a Marshall Plan. I don't know what you whether what you know about the Marshall Plan, but since 1976, as a young activist, there have been groups of black activists calling for a Marshall Plan. There are two things that are at the core of the solutions to the three problems that I'm bringing to this microphone tonight a Marshall Plan, and reparations. The number is 347-838-9852. If you're scared of it, call anyway. I'm Janice Graham, and I do not bite. We're going to go to our phone. 610, you're on the air. Thank you for your call. Hotep, and I respect you. 610. Okay, hello. Yes. Good afternoon. Good evening. Brother Brock here, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hello. Brother Brock from Philadelphia, PA. Good to hear from you. How are you, my hey. brother? And thank you, by the way, for your very nice compliment to me on the India Declare show on Thursday. I was listening. All right, and uh, you're welcome, and hello to the Blog Talk family. And I, too, am listening just about every time possible, including last night when you were uh, scolding us for uh, not calling in or or listening to the Brother Alpha, even though we are, and I think that kind of alludes to part of tonight's reasoning for whether we had the political will. Um, Me, myself, I am... Not I'm not a I, I used to be extremely sociable with what I could have considered a hundred friends, but they were just fictitious. We were just in the flow, in the motion, part of the entertainment, part of uh, enjoying each other's company. Nothing serious to it. Fast forward to now, part of the answer to yesterday and part of the answer today. I can almost consider myself a loner, even though I'm not. I'm still sociable, but I'm so selective because so many of the people that I did grow up with and hang out with do not gravitate or lash their teeth into hardcore activist issues. Protest, no. Uh, Pushback, no. So many people go along and get along that it rubs off on me. And people mm-hmm. kind of tell me that, you know what, your mom is probably uh, rolling over in her grave if she saw and, and, and saw the, and know the things that you do. I said, well, me and her, we, 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 we constantly went back and forth as much as we loved each other. She always wanted me to go with the flow. And she always saw that I was going against the grain. And now... Politicians, and not now, even back then, but even now, politicians 
go with the flow as opposed to going against the grain. Because here in Philadelphia, our own mayor, Michael Nutter, literally put out an ordinance and tried to get it passed through council to become a, a law. Actually, it, it was a law that got overturned, that you could not feed homeless people. That's how, and unfortunately, there was enough backlash. So I guess I'm, I'm almost going opposite of what I just said. Enough people did cry foul that that was just too much of a, uh, not a social, whatever, uh, 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 oligarchy type decision he wanted to make and throw it on the on, on the backs of the public that you could not feed people. He wanted to keep the business corridor spotless. Mm-hmm. I mean, he wanted to keep homelessness invisible. Invisible, and, hidden, hidden. And, and memo sections. to memo to Mayor Nutter, mm. the uh, is out of the bag. Is he kidding? I mean, I remember when all of that was going on, Brother Brock, but one of the Mm -hmm. things that I think that we have to do as a community, even before, I mean, feeding the homeless is an interim act. What we have to do is to eliminate the causes of homelessness. And it is not always... Just, I don't have a job. It has to do with the breakdown of our families. I mean, there are men, and I I have been a volunteer in a very large uh, shelter here in Boston for uh, well over 14 years now. Uh, I don't do as much as I used to do. I used to be a nightly volunteer, every night, six nights a week. Uh, just to help serve dinner and to uh, sit with uh, the clients of the shelter to help them find legal resources to work with legal problems. But aside from that, but the, 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 the thing is that many times people are homeless not only because of economics but because of mental health and because of family breakdown where there are, and there are some people who won't want to buy this, but there are some men out there who are homeless because they have emotional disorders that cause them to have so much friction with their wives and their children because of the lack of anger, uh, impulse management, which is a mental health issue, that they they just decide that they are not going to live at home. There are people out there who decide that it is in th- that they will have their children live with a a sister or or a mother or a grandparent because they can only do enough for the children. They can't they don't have enough money to 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 have both a home and take and take care of the basic necessities of food, clothing, and education. So, I mean, there are a lot of reasons that people are homeless. Uh, we have veterans coming back from all of these wars who have been whose minds have been cultured that yep. a roof over your head and to be comfortable somehow it doesn't fit with their sense of safety. 
So it, it, there's, there's so many reasons. Another is, a, yep. and, and what we have to do is we have to force our elected officials to get real about not only homelessness, but the reasons that people are sleeping on the street, that they're sleeping under bridges, they're choosing to do it, they are forced to do it and have no other options. And the reason I don't think that, you know, I know I'm wrong when I say this, we, that we can't force our elected officials, and the only reason I say that is as you go up the ladder of politics, it gets harder and harder to touch your official. So on the ground level, your 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 state representative, and then uh, maybe maybe a mayor you can touch. So it's a little bit better. But the governor, uh, the senators, the congressmen, although they like claim you can house. touch them, you can't because it's, they're I the disagree. ones who are hurting us most. I, I I think you're absolutely right that it is at the state level and how they use both state and federal dollars to address these issues. But I think I think you're wrong, and I and and it's like bringing down a house, brother Brock. You have to you have to first bring down the pillars, the things that hold them up. Okay, and I do knock down houses for one by one. Yes, <laughs> I mean yeah. I mean, if you if you look at it that way, I think that uh, we, you know, for instance, who are the people who say they advocate on these issues? But they and don't they, say it. They that, talk that's, the talk, but they don't walk the walk. But Those the bigger the, the bigger politicians higher up, they don't claim to 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 to, to do that to to say that. Okay, I'm for the homeless when they run for office and get elected, they're not running on that platform. So when they get there, they're on that a whole nother okay. wavelength already. The, you know, I, I was having uh I don't know if um, uh I, I was having a discussion with another person and then, you know, I always continue the discussions with myself. And the thing is that in organizing, in advocating, yes. in lobbying on issues like this, you have to be terribly uh, strategic, and you have to be terribly organized yourself. Well, with in, plenty of resources, yes. In our community, we have no a, a, a political academies. That's one mm -hmm. way to start. You take people who you know believe in the liberation, freedom, and justice for black people, and you train them to become candidates, and we get out of this nonsense. You know, one of the things that um, with all of the organizations that I've been associated with throughout my activism career is that you have to you have to call some folks out. You have you mean, that's the only way that we're going to break through the. The, the impediment that we have in our community where people are saying, oh, well, I don't think he ought to be the candidate because he got divorced, or I don't think she ought to be the candidate because yeah, she believes it looked in arrested, abortion. Up or something. I, you know, yeah. And we just, we just tie ourselves up in all of these barriers, and we have to start calling each other out. We have to start, I mean, I have been to some meetings in my life 
where people were 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 ready to throw chairs um and bottles over the arguments in the details and what we have to do is we have to say to each other uh for instance um I look at our loss of uh and I I've mentioned this before of Jesse Jackson Jr. He made so many mistakes. And I'm not talking about his mental illness, his emotional illness, whatever going on. But we have to tell black people, look, you cannot operate in the same way as your white counterparts at the state house. You simply cannot do it because they are looking for you to make a mistake so that they can get you the hell out of there. I mean, that's one reason we need political academies to teach people how to behave. But we also, on the other hand, have to be committed enough to say, yeah, so-and-so did divorce his wife, and now he's got another family. And we have to to ask the question, is he paying his child support? Is he doing the right thing? If he's doing the right thing, then forget about whether he got a divorce or not. Because we are, you know, we've got to stop the nonsense of we make all kinds of excuses for the dead heroes and sheroes, but we cannot see our way clear for the living ones. Brother Brock, you still well, there? I, 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 I'm going to go with an example. Uh, when you say when we talked about the homeless, homeless people that were um, homeless that were mentally ill. If you and you recall this point blank, I'm sure, and the listening audience as well. Once I, as I said, the higher up you go on the politics, the, the worse it gets to be able to touch them and to get them to hear your cry. They are the ones who shut down, what, 70% of the mental hospitals throughout the country, mm-hmm. five of them here in Pennsylvania, three of them in, in, within my, um, my driving distance here in Philadelphia, outside of Philadelphia. And when that took place, those people that were in those state institutions were directly thrown on the street. On the street. So we had plenty of backlash before it took place, while it was taking place, and after it took place. Our voices meant nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking bad the- about activists and pushing back. I know that's what we need to do. I'm just saying that on certain issues, it seems that it's like bulletproof, untouchable, because the higher politicians are just snubbing their nose at it and walking away. And then you can't run for office unless you have a certain amount of money. The thing is that we allow politicians to suck us in. Well, I I don't... It's hard for me to just say yes to that When you say we You're not being sucked in Blog Talk family doesn't appear to be sucked in So The we is the Back to that 90% versus 10% It's not what we say to each other It's what we do And let me let me just use the example that you're talking about in the closing of mental uh, mental uh, facility uh, health facilities in Pennsylvania. 
that one of the things is somebody was voting for those budget cuts. Correct, before it took place. Okay, yeah. That's right. And if you are a real advocate for adequate mental health services for um, for mentally ill people in, from our community and understand the consequences when they don't get it, is that, and, and we haven't even talked about the full complement. I mean, we, we, we talk about black kids killing black other black people. Uh, fratricide is is a mental illness in our community. But the thing is that anybody who was involved in those issues that you're talking about, they should have been able to call out the names, pick up the phone, call the Philadelphia Inquirer and say, we are a group of five people. We oppose these cuts. But it didn't work. I'm telling you. That, that's well, why I'm getting that. It didn't work because every one of them was reelected. Every one of them was probably mm-hmm. reelected. We've got to cut yeah. to the chase of how we, and I got in trouble on the air once before about saying that, some of these people got to be shot down at the knees. And some of them going to have to be black. And we're going to have to start all over. We're going to have to call Ben Jealous and say, look, if you don't get on the good foot, we're going to put so much pressure on your board that you won't have that job. We are sick and tired of you thinking that in our community an achievement is going to a meeting at the White House. That is not an achievement. Well, I hope we get enough other activists because I know that I myself, I can, you know, a lot of times I can just come back to me or my family without talking about others. I don't have that intensity to take it to that level on my own. yeah. Because but I've lost thing, plenty of is, work in the process. But the plenty thing of is, Brock, that that you have a, you are very fortunate in your community that you have community talk radio. There is no yes. reason that my, Michael Cord uh, mm-hmm. or others in your community, I'm in his organization. Yep. Right. Can't put together a letter to the editor about an issue that is important to you that appears in the Philadelphia Inquirer, and that is a, a, a that is a um, a vehicle by which you begin to organize in your community over some of these issues. You know, for instance, Brock, you know, you've been listening to me for four years, five years now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, that I am a huge advocate of a Marshall Plan for the black community. I'm a huge advocate that one of the ways in which we resolve the problem about young black males in our communities not having the appropriate and adequate family protection to have public school boarding schools for black boys and black girls because they're not getting because we have a whole generation of parents who have no idea how to begin to protect them, to educate them, and to get them on a path for success in their lives. But nobody's talking about that. Nobody's talking about the notion of what we do in our courts. Um, One of... 
one one man that I absolutely adore and love, and he was a friend uh, uh, of my father's, and I think that when I was little I was in love with him, but I don't know. But he he was a lawyer, and he was one of the reasons that I chose law is Judge Ed Rogers in Palm Beach County, Florida. He was the first judge in this country to establish a Saturday drug court where if you were pro- if you were being prosecuted for a drug offense, you had to bring your mama, your daddy, your grandmother, your whole family to court. And there was a conversation between the I'm, I'm talking about minor drug offenses. There was a conversation about, and and you were under the age of 19, there was a conversation about how you begin to protect and redirect this young person. We should be doing that all over the country. That's needed, yeah. And see, you'll have white judges that that can do that on a regular basis, but by and large, and they only do it for white um, people as well because – We'll get sentenced and and thrown on and thrown under the bus. But so you know, obviously that's not helping the, the the general populace. It's just helping a certain select few. But what I'm saying is that every court, every local and district court, ought to have a program like that. Yeah, and correct. that You're we right. ought to have input about what happens in that court. The other is. We've got to force this president, this president. I mean, George Bush would never say climate change. Bill Clinton would never use the word welfare. Um, um, And Barack Obama has never used the word prison industrial complex. Those are the issues that we've got to force, and we've got to force them. We've got to force them before before April. We've got to have. I mean, we have so many inadequate programs, so many inadequate organizational strategies, from the NAACP to the Urban League. I mean, you cannot spend all of your resource capital raising money. We've got too many organizations. Everybody got an organization. Dag. And they're so all splintered. All of them are splinter. Most of them are splintered. And most of these organizations are splintered and running with no or low resources. And I'll tell you another thing I've been saying on the air for 25 years. We need a moratorium on giving awards. No more damn NAACP image awards. No more damn no kind of awards because our children are not flourishing. Our community is dying and has been devastated, and we're facing problems, chronic problems, serious chronic problems of mental health, homelessness, and hunger. We're as hungry as we were when we were captured into shadow slavery. So let me ask you this question then. Let me ask you this question to go right back to what your initial 
the initial uh, question. Which which politicians on a high level are fighting for homelessness and mental illness and or mental illness? And I mean, you know, nationally acclaimed politician. Is there any that you have heard use that on the floor? The only person that I have heard is uh, the congresswoman from Florida, Corrine Brown, the congresswoman from uh, California, Maxine Waters, Waters, and congresswoman Barbara. um, But they talk about it. But But it's a smaller level. It's a smaller level, once again. It's not Congress. It's not Senate. It's, it's, It's... a lower level of street politics. Well, the thing is, <laughs> I don't call someone sitting standing on the floor of the of the House of Representatives street politics. The other is that we've got to hold. I mean, you know, um, speaking of accountability, okay. we've got to hold them accountable for having an agenda. Otherwise, they're jumping around. I mean, all this talk about the fiscal cliff, and black people are involved in it. The debt, the debt, and the deficit, and the uh, the. But when it comes time for budget talks, you don't hear them talking about the ratio of how dollars are spent. For instance. Unequal education funding is absolutely necessary for our inner cities. There should be no contest that, you know, but we have politicians talking about equal educational opportunity. It should be unequal educational opportunities because of the way in which Black people have been ravished by miseducation. You see what I'm saying? I I know exactly what you're saying, but I I, I think we can all hear the backlash of anybody that stood up and said we need unequal. But if we um, get serious about it, we won't care about it. I mean, we are out fighting for Susan Rice. We are out fighting for... Uh, something else. We are so distracted that we have no agenda. We have no systems of measurement or accountability. You know, imagine for a minute if, you know, Chicago seems to be one of the inner cities that is in so much trouble because, you know, we've got armed gangs and and all of it points back to chattel slavery. It all, I mean, this fratricide that's going on in Chicago is just a bunch of kids who have had no family structure that is supportive. Then they go to school and they don't learn how to read. They don't learn how to reason. They don't learn how to do anything. Then they drop out and think the only territory that they have is a street corner where they sling um, uh, whatever they're slinging, okay? 
what would happen if the Urban League and the NAACP and the legal def- the, the the NAACP Legal Defense Fund and the Lawyers Committee swooped into the south side of Chicago and helped that community not only organize but develop measurable and accountable agenda for political action in that in that in that in that community. What would happen? It would work if they could if they could stand the time frame that it would take to do that. It would work. But why do we always it would, think it's a time frame? You've got it, no, no, no. But I say time frame. I mean, young black men who need a place to live, who need mental health um, yes. care, who need uh, to be fed. But those three entities that you meant, those three entities that you mentioned, they're not going to stay together long enough for that success to take place. Then we need to call and CBS and ABC and tell and tell them to stop calling them leadership organizations. Yeah, and it's not just them. I think too many people are wrapped up in it. Is Fast yeah. food society where you can only do such and such for a limited duration, then you're, you're right. up to, to the next thing, or you're just too lazy and you ain't doing a damn thing. It's almost yeah. like it's one or the other. And I'm not being belittling or anything. I'm just, that's just yeah, the way that's it is. Yeah, that's the way it is. Hey, Brother Brock, it's been All a right. pleasure. You know, I always enjoy um, talking with you because you're always thinking about these things. Keep but, up the great work. You and the ball. You know, one down. of the things you you need to do with your organizations, when we start seriously talking about a black Marshall Plan for Philadelphia, yes. Yes. and we start to seriously mobilize around reparations, we know why reparations are necessary. We know where the energy and the resources of reparative delivery. To black people in this country ought to go. All right. And I'm tired of the, you know, I, I, I'm I'm worn out from getting people to understand that just these three items, hunger, homelessness, and mental health, that's where you put your reparations money. Education. Okay, so if you can, if you can mute my mic, I can just listen in the background. Okay, I certainly will, and thank you, and have a good weekend. I respect Enjoy. you. Brother Brock from... Philadelphia, PA, PA. Our number is 347-838-9852. I'm Janice Graham. This is our common ground. We're going to take a break because we, Brother Brock and I just whip right on by them. Thank you for being with us tonight, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Get on up. Yeah. around you. One in four kids in the U.S. faces hunger. It's not always easy to see the signs, but in this land of plenty, there are kids that don't know where they will get their next meal. Join Share Our Strength in Food Network and take the pledge to end childhood hunger here in America by 2015. Learn how at nokidhungry.org. 
their next meal could come from you. Who champion this cause of something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, but I don't know what it is. And then he set her up by backing off. Well, if she will come and talk to her. Right. Yeah, and she yeah, came yeah. and talked to you, not alone, she came and talked with the CIA guy. Sure did. And he basically backed up everything she said, but now they have larger concerns. Now they're crying and whining about the filibuster and the reform of the filibuster. Not only should they reform the filibuster, they should drop the nuclear option on the filibuster. And when you hear people like Mitch McConnell saying that if they do this, this will poison the well forever. Well, I'll take your threat and I'll raise you to shove it in your behind. Right, raucous, and reason. Advanced Urban Progressive Political Talk Radio. The Alpha Show. Only at Truthworks Network. Friday, 10 p.m. Common Ground, I respect you, Hotel. How are you this December 1st uh, of the new month, I suppose, ending uh, the last month of um, of uh, 2012? Uh, in 16 days, we're going to have a birthday one year for Mason Turner. We're calling him M.T., also known as Billy Badass. (laughs) He is growing well and starting to imitate some talking. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. Our number is 347-838-9852, our common ground at the top of the hour. And we're talking about homelessness. And I guess we, you know, talking to Brother Brock, we might be talking about helplessness, too. Uh, Once again, um, homelessness, hunger, and mental health. I I want to share this with you. Uh, This is uh, Reflections on Black Mental Health, brought to us by uh, a very prominent black social worker who works on the South Side of Chicago. Our culture provides a foundation for our personal identity. 
Um, our upbringing uh, is very much influenced by culture and all that it entails, whether it is our ethnic identity, our racial identity, how we define what it means to be a quote, real man or real woman. It all provides a context for how we see ourselves. And it also uh, influences the way that we uh, view normality. Our cultural values really influence what we see as normal, what we see as illness, and how we really define uh, well-being. In the black community, a lot of the strengths of our community, whether it be strong families, uh, strong extended families, a real sense of um, diverse spirituality and social justice are things that really promote well-being within the African-American community, especially within the context of intergenerational and ongoing stressors like economic issues, poverty, institutional, and even blatant racism a little earlier about your explanation of the problem. Someone who sees uh, having uh, depression, for example, as a sign of weakness might avoid going to see uh, a mental health professional for, as a sign that somehow it's confirmation of that. But uh, in that example, it's a sign really of strength, of strength of uh, knowing that you can really incorporate the help of others in strengthening yourself in that example. Another person might worry about going to see a mental health professional if they have a spiritual explanation of their problems and see it as somehow uh, not trusting their God or their higher power in solving their problems. Uh, but one might view it as a way in which uh, God or that person that, that or that being that you uh, look to. This is our common ground. Thank you for being with us, speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power one broadcast at a time. Give us a call. Let's talk about black homelessness, black mental illness, and black hunger in America. What's in store for our political agenda, and where is our political will? Once again, for being with us, you know, in 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 that talk, the social worker talks from um, a basis of understanding that social circumstances serve as an indicator for the likelihood of developing a mental illness, and that African Americans are disproportionately more likely to experience social circumstances that increase their chances of developing a mental illness. We like to, on this program and other talk programs that I listen to, and I do want to remind you that of our uh, sponsored network, TruthWorks Network, where there's just fantastic programming going on over there, we talk about uh, all the exposure that black children have to um, violence in our community. Uh, our children can talk about someone being killed in their neighborhood. Imagine for a minute, I, 
uh, my white friends, I don't think any of their kids really know much about, would never be able to point to somebody got killed in their neighborhood. Maybe that's because of my white friends. But uh, children who are exposed to to violence, not only armed uh, arm, gun violence, but who are exposed to anger, constant depression and despair, the lack of educational experiences and support. You know, um, I was on the train the other day, and this and I want to shout out to her because I did give her one of my cards. I hope she's listening. This brave young sister, she must have been maybe around 26 years old. She had taken her class of 22 boys down to watch the Celtics practice. And they were on the train with me coming home on Thursday evening. And these little boys were the most well-mannered. One little boy was sitting in the chair. I was standing up, and and he poked me, and he said, would you like to sit down? And they had, you know, the handheld games. and I mean, they were loud. There's no doubt about it. They were loud because there were so many of them. They were all, like, I was surrounded by these little boys. But they were being so kind to each other, and they were playing games and sharing, and there wasn't any arguments going on. And I thought to myself, my goodness, how comforting and safe it must be for children to just be with their friends and having fun. And and, um, I looked up at one point, and they were pulling cheeseburgers from I guess they had stopped in a concourse and at the McDonald's and and they were pulling cheeseburgers out of their pockets I mean literally I was cracking up because they were pulling the cheeseburgers out of their pockets and they were sharing for the kids that didn't have cheeseburgers they were tearing them in half dirty hands from the from the, I mean, and 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 it was just such a joy to watch little black boys. They were mostly black and Hispanic, and it was just a joy to watch them. But then, when you think about when you think about um, the increase, a recent 15-year span study concluded that suicide rates increased 233% among African Americans aged 10 to 14, compared to 120% among white Americans in the same age group across the same span of time. You know, and then there's this other this other part of mental illness in our community that we don't give a lot of thought to. And that is something called somatization. And somatization is the manifestation of physical illnesses related to mental health. And it occurs at a rate of 15% among African Americans and only 9% 
among Caucasian Americans. And I think we probably see this in seniors more than we see it in another group. And I may be wrong, and I'm only playing a psychiatric statistician on radio. But somatization, uh, you know how you have people in your family, they always got a headache, the stomach is always hurting. You see children who come from troubled homes, they've got headaches, stomach aches, the the bones ache. Uh, They've always got, uh, you know, and then we have people who they've always got something, a cold or or flu-like symptoms or um, they're always going to the doctor, to the emergency room because, you know, my mother used to tell me her, I think my kidney hurts. And I used to say to her, Mom, how, how would you isolate it might be your kidney? But um, all of us, because of the stresses, and, and do not minimize the stress of what it means to be the subject. I mean, I talked about this a lot during the first Obama um, term and during this last two years of these people running for office and campaigning for president from Santorum to Perry to 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 Genrich to to Mitt Romney and even the president in in many instances that were offensive and we were always trying to defend ourselves as a people no we are not the welfare people they're more white i mean did you find yourself constantly uh i don't know about you but I was constantly saying what are they talking about more there are more white people proportionately on food stamps and federal assistance to families than there are black people. What are they talking about? And then they were saying we were lazy. We didn't want to have the jobs, and they wanted to, and and the, the other people were taking the jobs. And, and we were just constantly in this whirlwind of attacks that had to take a toll somewhere. Our number is 347 838 9852 I really didn't jack up this phone uh tonight to talk to myself and I really appreciate uh all of our callers and try to give you as much time to get to the points that you need to get to. I I, I want to talk about more about this whole thing of mental illness because I think that <coughs> mental illness is a consequence in so many ways, um, a consequence of our existence. And we need to begin to encourage in our community people to to advocate and to support mental health-related professionals who are servicing our community. You know, because we, we sometimes are, our sensitivity to, or the greater society's sensitivity to African-American cultural differences, such as cultural differences in medication, uh, metabolic rates, 
views on mental illness and propensity toward experiencing certain mental illnesses, if, if we can begin to advocate and to be more open, we can improve African Americans' treatment experiences and also increase utilization of mental health care services. But we cannot do that if we allow ourselves to be fooled into thinking that your sister or our nieces and nephews, college students too, who ex- are experiencing chronic sense, uh, a chronic state of sadness. I mean, uh, do you have any people in your in your family around you that um, they seem to be isolating themselves? You know. They're not going to tell you that they're hungry. I mean, when you have relatives who look like they're having a hard time, um, you need to ask them, do you have food? There's there's no shame in that game. Our number is 347-838-9852 at Our Common Ground tonight. I'm trying to get you to looking at how shadow slavery the symptoms, the consequences are still with us. Okay, let's go to our phones. One one one, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. I respect you too, Janice. I respect you. Miss so India much. Declare. You I declare evening? Monday through Friday, eleven AM at Blog Talk Radio. The real so run sweet. right now, Queen. You are so sweet. I am I am not calling in in conjunction to to that at all. I just want to thank you so very much for uh articulating this issue so brilliantly and simply as you have. And um uh hunger, homelessness and mental illness um uh for some and maybe most, um shame is a big part of the game. Uh that phraseology that we use uh, no shame in the game or whatever it is That is so the antithesis of what so many uh, live Because I think we are so shackled by shame and embarrassment And um, uh, for many, hunger, homelessness, and mental illness um, Is something uh, that you never get too far away from I'm 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 beginning to wonder if we are all not in some capacity uh mentally vulnerable by the constant uh uh and consistent and deliberate uh chaotic uh, 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 uh spastic attacks that we are constantly on the defensive from um uh I so there's so many points that you made tonight but uh, uh, yes, 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 and more yes. I couldn't even type it in the chat room. My fingers hurt. But uh, yes, just the entire campaign process was abusive. These people have been abusive to the president, and it has reverberated throughout uh, uh, society. And I think the greatest evidence of this was the election. And how these people just kept talking to themselves And how they were going to win by this much And the analysts and the strategists and the pundits And, the, and I mean, 
It's 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 just the whole. I want him to fail, and the, and all of this daily barrage of beating up and being punished just for being who you are and breathing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that the punishers or the 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 uh, um, uh, the punishers are expressing their mindset. I've always said it has nothing to do with who their target is. That's who they are. So, but it's hard not to absorb some of this. Uh, I almost curse. It's hard not to absorb some of the insanity that they are cooked in and baked in the hatred the 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 envy and the enjoying of the hatred the ease of the hatred the muscular rhythmic uh, uh non-stop of the hatred uh, uh that is mental illness and then to attempt to work to perpetrate that hatred on a people just for being who you can't help who you were born to be and 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 to just constantly uh, uh, be a rhetoric, a, a policy, legislation, entertainment—it don't matter what. Uh, pick a finger. Uh, the constant beating up and the constant uh, 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 punishing, uh, and 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 just another of your brilliant points that you were making of uh, uh, connecting uh, this to uh, chattel slavery and the ability to deconstruct. What we normally go through, um, uh, and 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 I don't expect them to understand what I'm saying. That's another huge point. I'm not taking a hammer to the crazy white people. I don't expect them to get it. Their their channel is on their channel, and apparently they're not going to change the channel. So that's their channel. I'm just saying that I'm acknowledging what you're saying. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that what we just witnessed, that carnival of re- regression uh, called a primary and campaign, all of that, that in itself is mental illness, to think that that in any way was sellable. And, the, and, and, and they got up and said it. And then they have the machine of the analysts and the strategists and all these people with all these titles all wrong. And they use the mechanism of the media to sell it, and it is constant abuse. The food stamp president and 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 the blah people. And I mean, it's it was, it would be funny if it wasn't so tragic. And 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 so the answer. For me, to your question is yes, 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 yes. I am wondering if we are all not mentally abused. Clearly, clearly, the haters are mentally ill. So we got that. They just put a check mark by that. I don't care what the title is. If they fall into that that that, that category, that's what they are, and they've proven it. Now they're trying to read back. Well, we've got to we've got to figure out how to talk. <laughs> you told the world who you are and what you believe. Now, it is up to us to say, you know what, that's who they are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am I, I not India... going to allow that to just kill me because if we do, it it is so toxic and poisonous that it can get to your bone marrow. Somehow we have to have a firewall up where we self-sponsor and self-nurture and not look to that to nurture or sponsor. 
You see, one of the things that organizations like Change.org, uh, Applied Research, and other progressive white organizations have done, or non-black organizations have done, is that they have petitioned their own supporters. Once those petitions are prepared and there are enough signatures, then they send it to the White House and then they send it to the Washington Post, New York Times, and uh, the Chicago uh, Tribune and the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Boston Globe, and they get columnists to begin to write about the contents of those petitions. Mm-hmm. And you bet the bippy that once that happens, then the president in his State of the Union address begins to, even if it is shrouded, begins to talk about it because that is a petition requiring him to take on the issue. If we do that at the state and the national level, we'll begin to bring these questions. You know, because I think about one of the things I have, I have not a dog in the fight about whether Dr. Susan Rice should be the Secretary of State. As I said on the Alpha show last night, she is preemptively more qualified than Senator Hillary Clinton was when she was appointed. That being said, I have to look at separate between the discourse of whether she should be the Secretary of State and exactly what happened and how I respond and absorb the racist attacks against her, which was an attempt to invalidate her credentials by way of race. Absolutely. I was listening because to you last evening on the uh, Alpha show, and I I really agreed with your point. Um, uh, you know, uh, because I, I, I do have to say, and and, and I don't want I don't want this to, to turn into a discussion about what happened with Ambassador Wright. But when I look at what has happened in the Gaza Bank, what I, has occurred and uh, unfolded in the Congo, when I look at the whole takeover of Libya and the assassination of Gaddafi. It was all under Susan Rice's, and when I look at the United States' lack of participation in the world peace and violence and racism conferences worldwide, and the Mm -hmm. UN was absent, I have to look at Susan Rice. But on the other hand, I have to see myself in Susan Rice. I am one generation ahead of her in 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 academic and educational achievement so it happened to me and that is how black people experienced it the other is that we have to understand from our own experience and all these people who are talking about the obama lovers and black people that the obama lovers and blah 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 That is aside from his policy stuff. I take that personally 
because as a black person who grew up in Jim Crow, I understand the historical implication of his election. Correct. So, you know, we have to learn, India, that we've got to separate our sentimentality and be real clear about what our sentimentality is. We've got to be real clear about what our personal agenda is and very clear about what our collective agenda, which is political, must be. Absolutely. And I believe that if one can, at the very least, express clarity on those three points that you just made, our grid and trajectory would be more clear and we would be less uh, static, if you will, or sporadic. Well, you know, I'm ready to have an – I'm ready to – one of the problems we've always had in our community and one of the reasons that – the theme of this program is speaking truth to power and ourselves. Uh-huh. We need to bring some people to Jesus on what they have and have not done. The But the measurement has to be clear. We can't just attack people just to be attacking people. You know, for right. instance, the other night... Um, and I had this discussion, I want everybody to know, I'm not talking out of school, I had a discussion over the phone with Ricardo Jones, uh, who called me, um, and I had a discussion with him. And I said to him that if if the system is the problem, it is a not a new system, it is an old system, and we have to attack the infrastructure of the system, not some individual like the president who will go away in four years. Absolutely. And that's what we've got to be that's what we've got to be clear about. For every represent congressional representative in in anybody who's listening, if you think these things are serious, then you begin to say, Who is this person who represents me? What has he done? What do I need him to do? Is he willing to do it or her? Is she willing to do it? And if not, what do I need to do to get what I need for my community? And that last question has to be asked at every instance. Exactly. Exactly. You know, for instance, I am torn about John Kerry being the Secretary of State. Um, I think that his regard and respect for the military and for military solutions might be a bit high Mm -hmm. for my taste. I have written (laughs) something about that, and if he is nominated, I will let my president know that I won't support his nomination. See, we, we act like we're outside when, in fact, we ought to be behaving like we're inside. 
The other is, and I want to say this to you, and I want to say this to the audience. Um, from my brief stint in the, in the federal government, I am telling you, if people get organized and they begin to challenge the way in which the federal government operates in the place where you live, there will be a response. The secret now, is elaborate, elaborate, elaborate. Give us a little bit more. The people uh, in your local in your local federal agencies uh-huh, do uh-huh. not want you to pick up the phone and call Washington. Got it. And then, mm-hmm. and and that may be a secret, but uh-huh. secret's out now. So if your housing programs are not working. If your policing is out of control, because mm-hmm. people don't realize that it is Homeland Security Department and and um, and almost every federal agency provides some kind of funding to police departments, from the so treasury the you, all the way to HHS. So the point that you just made. Uh, local federal agencies don't want us to call Washington, really should send us to the phones huge. Just the fact that they don't want us to call Washington should trigger us to get on the horn and call consistently. When you're not getting the response. Uh, another example is CDBG funds, uh-huh. community development grants. That money is decided by mayors in in every city. It's called entitlement cities. Uh You have your entitlement. Small cities are non-entitlement, but they get money too. So uh, um, the law requires that when the mayors distribute that money out into the community, there has to be a meeting. There has to be a notice to the community about how those monies are going to be spent, a meeting which gives the public an opportunity to input. I will grant you that 60% of the cities bury the notice for public input and the same organizations time after time get that money. And that money is designated. Right. So the money, so the money um, uh, 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 is gotten, and the people don't know the money is gotten. So whomever uh, uh, the mayor staff mayor or the mayor is comfortable the with, governors can give it to anybody they want to. Give allocated to it, the, the way they want to. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And the law is not built that way. That is why it is so important if people really think that hunger, mental health, and homelessness is a priority for them in our community, we need to find out how these systems work, where these folks get the the money, how do they decide to cut or enhance the budgets for these services? You know, for instance, I, I can't imagine that if Ben Jealous, uh, the Urban League, uh, the Lawyers Committee, 
some other people got together with the urban initiative people in the White House and the Secretary of Education and the Secretary of HUD and the Secretary of Health and Human Services and said, look, we want four cities to have four beta programs for housing, feeding, and educating black children where their families have demonstrated they cannot provide them family support that's required for young people. I can't imagine that they'll walk away. And with a, with a high-tech uh, amount of transparency um, um, uh, on the urban in, uh, initiative and the uh, HHS secretary and the education secretary and, and the HUD secretary and That's the right. initiation of the beta programs with transparency, we as a nation could observe, learn, exactly. and begin exactly. to implement from those uh, initiatives on how to implement that type of program across the country. Absolutely. Of course that can be you done. Know, I, I I already have in Boston, I even see it. It's a, a, a school that has been abandoned that could be turned into dormitories and classrooms uh, providing. I mean, if you think about it, all of these new graduate uh, students who are coming out of colleges and universities who have studied education want to do urban education and they can't get jobs, uh, they can't take the jobs where the jobs are because the cost of living is too high, and they get free room and board in a boarding uh, environment, and social workers, and mental health professionals, and medical professionals, and family relationship development professionals, and it all works to the good. Mhm. Absolutely. And who who maintains the building? Who 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 renovates the building to to do it? The the mayor of Boston could call five const, uh, contractors tomorrow and say, "I want you to do this for free." Mhm. We want and to take is, this building this and renovate of- it. And 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 the other is that um, the grounds and maintenance of the building—that's the job of the students. They do their homework. They everybody has their jobs. Absolutely. Cleaning the yards, cleaning the bathrooms. Clean, I mean, it's and they get a little bit of pay from it. So they have well, money see, in their pockets. It's the it's the same energy, uh, Janice. It's the energy that you spoke of earlier. We're using that energy to live in a conscious and or unconscious state of defending ourselves and our being as opposed to using that precious energy in a proactive stance and manner to move ourselves, our families and our agenda forward. We're yep. so busy we're so busy defending the attacks 
mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, it's very hard and difficult to move forward, which is the purpose of the attacks to keep us from moving That's forward. Right. That's so, right. Uh, because um, whatever is decided about this falling off the cliff, you know, my vote goes for let them fall off the cliff. But <laughs> it, all this cliff hanging discourse and how yes. we're getting involved in all of that stuff, it doesn't even matter for our community because we're already there. We're in the valley. Right. We exactly. fell off so many, you know. So I think that what we have to do is we have to start speaking truthfully to each other. We have to get beyond. I mean, I I have not mentioned it on the air because I didn't want to get involved in it during the time that it was happening but we've we've got our scholars scratching each other's eyes out. People who ought to be using their their uh, great intellectual capacity. Eric uh, Michael Dyson, uh, Dr. Uh, Cornell West, Tavis Smiley. They ought to be using their energies, producing the matrix of solutions for our community, and not fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I Absolutely. Mean, we, Absol- when we Absolutely. think about it, when we think about it on, on, on the scale of, you know, um, a, as you know, my, my best friend um, is a violence worker uh, in the Congo. Mm-hmm. And people have to get it in their heads that the Democratic Republic of of Congo is as large as the United States east of the Mississippi. And it it is a wonderful, beautiful place. But right now, despite money spent on peacekeepers, recent legislation and diplomatic capital, the country has descended into chaos in recent weeks where – all of the, the the peacekeepers who held up their hand have been brought home. And the people of Rwanda, the government of Rwanda, are starting to get involved in in a way that, you know, um, that is very troubling. Um, but the rebels uh, withdrew from Goma today but the pullout of the rebels does not even begin to resolve the problems. But if you if you take that, if you uh-huh. take that scenario on another kind of scale, it is no different than what we are dealing with in our own communities. Except for we don't even have the energy to have rebels go in or withdraw, or whatever. And Mm. the thing is, India, I am very afraid of, if we don't get to these issues, and I might be dead and gone, we will end up in the same way that the people of Serbia ended up, and that is turning against each other. And unfortunately, I would, and I really hate to say this, um, but I believe that is the goal of of some. Absolutely, absolutely. 
just as just as the 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 people in Rwanda during the Rwandan genocide and in the Congo that's going on now rape is used as a tool of war uh-huh. in America racial attacks is now a tool of war Mhm. It's just fine in this country right now to be a white man talking shit against black people. And they're on TV for everybody to see. Well, that is exactly what we just went through and uh the country spoke, uh but there were also tens of millions of Americans that voted for uh the Republican ticket. So there that that, that speaks to uh the energy and the bravado uh, and the ease of what you are speaking to. And you're absolutely um, you know they test drove it and uh it worked. It for worked tens of millions of Americans. So you know they're only going to refine it, fine tune it. Uh, calibrate it, tweak it, and come back, repackage it, and tell the same damn thing again. It's just a matter right. of uh, will 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 people maintain a level of engagement? And as you were speaking to, will people have the energy to continue to fight it? Because the energy is not going anywhere. Yeah, but you know, India back in the sixties, um, when the Montgomery boycott was going on. And as we moved into the civil rights movement era, and when we moved into the black power movement era, it was shameful for a black person not to have taken a stand. And I think we've got to get back to that. We've got to be saying to to black people, speaking truth to power in ourselves, you Mm -hmm. shop at Walmart, you're buying my oppression. You buy Coke Brother products, you buy my oppression. And yeah, speaking to to Brother Bach, it is fine to say to people, you stay ignorant, and ignorance will make you invisible. And when you wake up one morning and you don't count at all, you remember how ignorant you were. Uh, absolutely, and they really I mean, won't have to and, wait and, that know, long and, not and, to count because and, they don't count now. To to and we send our uh, we send our kids to college and we don't educate uh, them that hey, we're not sending you to to be like them. We're sending you to this opportunity to create more opportunity. Right, get closer to you. So that you can tap into your purpose and, 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 and grow your tree of purpose from you and not emulate not emulate something that is not in your best interest. Yeah. I think yeah. that I think that what you're saying about shame is so important because we feel shame to me uh uh, uh it's it, it's it's just a very fascinating uh, issue. Um uh we should be much more conscientious and conscious about our consumerism and mm-hmm. and 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 I know it's part of the conditioning and we've been cooked and baked and microwaved and all that but you know we have got to come into 
the power of our consumerism and 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 not just be these consumer zombies um literally literally enriching those who literally uh back policy and sponsor policy to oppress repress and suppress you and us and it's like we've got to i mean i mean as long as we keep spending that big what is it a billion dollars annually uh, in our community goes from our hands uh out um uh, and not and never about comes back around Right, exactly. At the very least, it should be a figure eight, and not That's and right. not a and not a and not a one way street. Goddamn, That's a, right. show something, That's right. uh, uh, get something out of the damn deal. How you gonna spend a billion dollars every twelve months and not get damn squat out of the damn deal? So I mean, you know, it's like we're just gonna have to have some common sense kind of scrubbing down as to because I, I think people want. To be conscious and conscientious, but don't like know how, or like they don't know that your show is on, and like if they did, would they be watching, you know, a housewife show or or, or old soap opera? Or would they be tuned into you? It's like, like I think people and, and like don't is not know. Challenging that. Not challenging that. Now we got new reality shows about ministers' wives. Uh, <laughs> oh Lord, I haven't you know, seen that. We, Wait a minute, I didn't know that existed. But but what we need to understand is that we are in a society, and we have to we have to somehow operate our lives with a median income for African American households at thirty two thousand two hundred twenty nine dollars, which is significantly lower than our white counterparts whose medium income is 55412 And poverty rates for African Americans is 27.6%, nearly triple that of non-Hispanic whites at 9.8%. That's mm. where we are, folks. India, I've got to take a break before I get out of here tonight. So I can tell people about the. You know I love you, Miss Janice. Thank you so much for 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 having taken some tea time with me, and and thank you to your audience for being here and for engaging, and just thank you for what you do. You are a true treasure. Uh, you guys you. have a, a, a great weekend. Thank you, so Miss Janice. To talk with you, India, anytime. That's Miss India Declare of I Declare Show. It airs right here on Monday. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Monday through Friday, and you should check her out because she's real raw and right down. You're listening to Our Common Ground. We want to wish our Our Common Ground media production administrator, Michelle Odom, a wonderful birthday, and we are so thankful that she's spending her birthday evening with us. We'll be right back. I want to 
know why I'm fine one minute and the next, my body aches so bad I can't move. I want to know why my hair is falling out. I'm only 17. I'm tired all the time. Now, this rash. I just want to know what's going on. When you don't have the right answers, it may be time to ask your doctor the right question. Could I have lupus? For answers, for support, for hope, visit couldihavelupus.gov or call 1-800-994-9662. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Office on Women's Health and the Ad Council. Backfire on us 
down the road. Let's talk for a minute about uh, black organizations. Those of you out, out there that are listening, black organizations, ask yourself and call and talk with me about what do you really think, not what you think you were supposed to say uh, because some folk might be listening. What do you really think? The most powerful force on the earth, a soul of fire. Soul of fire, fire, soul of fire, spirits be not a soul of fire, spirits be not a Soul of Fire with Dr. Matthew V. Johnson, Wednesdays, 10 p.m., TruthWorks Network. Where spirit matters. And thank you for being with us. I've really enjoyed this conversation, uh, and I am grateful to Brother Brock of Philadelphia, PA, and India Declare uh, for their calls tonight and for you uh, in the chat room having a robust discussion um, during this broadcast tonight. We've got plenty of guests. Thank you for joining us. If you're new to us, we hope that you will join us each Saturday evening, 10 p.m. Um, Medusa and NG and YJ are right in the house. Thank you so much. Uh, Doc Don, uh, Oklahoma, thank you so much for being with us. And, of course, my dear brother, Alpho, and he really is a friend. Join us next Saturday night at Our Common Ground. Our guest will be Dr. Patricia Newton. Uh, She is the president of the Association of Black Psychiatrists, and we're going to be folding all of what we've talked about in our conversation with her. And um, we think that you will really enjoy uh, some time with such a wonderful, wonderful uh, resource in our community. Um, as you know, um, the Royal Society is having their conference this week in uh, yesterday and today uh, in Baltimore on Black Consciousness, seeking the secrets of Black Consciousness, and we're We'll be anxious to talk with her about um, how that went. Thank you for being with us. It's always such a pleasure. Hotep, and I respect you. See you next week. You've been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.
Thank you.